So I named this talk tonight, uh, Swinging from the Vine to Nibbana. Uh, and this sort of follows uh, last night's uh, bahia of uh, the bark cloth uh, <laughs> moment of uh, what? Um, in the seeing, just the seeing. In the hearing, just the hearing. Uh, uh, his moment. Um, and the energetics and uh, dedication it took uh, uh, to get there and arrive there and uh, also uh, to be fully present uh, for that moment. Uh, as I start here, I first want to... Um, just, uh, I always have this thing about acknowledging all the devas and uh, all kind of all the unseen uh, beings that come and um, are present uh, on this uh, land and must, you know, are around here for, just for the work that we're all doing together. It's, it's quite miraculous. And there are forces at work here uh, that are uh, from uh, this. Um, unconditioned, this nibbana, uh, that are supporting us here. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about that tonight. First, I have I've kind of uh, want to begin by uh, uh, talking about <laughs> this thing about on this vine of uh, nibbana and letting go. And and for my fiftieth birthday. Uh, just south of what's it? No, west of Davis. There is a place that uh, you can go skydiving in tandem. And so, for my fiftieth birthday, uh, I decided this was you know a big deal, and so I would go and and uh, check this out. <laughs> and um, wow, it was really scary. <laughs> I know Jackson. It was really, you know, I didn't realize what I'd taken on, you know. And especially when the guy told me, you know, well, the way this works is, is in tandem. I, I get you up to the door, and I count to three and jump out. But he says, you know, really, what I do is, I'll tell you because I think you're okay. Is I get to the door, I count to one, and I push. <laughs> Uh, and I remember that moment of fear, <laughs> and then being pushed out the door, you know, literally. And, uh, you know, you, you fall for a mile and a half, but this was from 13,500 feet or whatever. Uh, and then the parachute, you know, I mean, it's 5,000 feet, you, you kind of go into this wonderful little glide parachute thing. But, but that first half mile, <laughs> that first half mile, um, the amount of of, of really deep clinging that happens. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I mean, I don't know of any other uh, experience I've had where I, I was holding on so tight to something that was totally impossible to hold on to. Uh, and so it's just a great analogy uh, for uh, uh, this practice. And sometimes I kind of see it as like, you know, we're on this uh, a kind of vine, and uh, our 
uh, our natural inclination is because of that fear is we grab a hold of that thing and it burns us and it's we get rope burn and rope burn is a thing that we have kind of named as a thing called samsara and uh, samsara is uh, from our conditioning uh, simply that and it is uh, really about our, our uh, what our conditioning of uh, uh, either uh, you know wanting it to be a certain way or not wanting it to be a certain way whichever way that works there is this natural um, clinging or grasping in this case that happens and uh, and there is also on the other end of this there's also letting go and that's really what I want to talk about tonight because there is this samsara and then there's this uh, which is really about attachment. Uh, and then there is about non-attachment. Now it's kind of tricky, and uh, very tricky, actually. So one of the things that, um, and this is from the Tao Te Ching. Um, what has it go? The one who speaks does not know. The one who knows does not speak. So I'm taking that stance here. It's kind of like the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> because uh, it's really a, a, a huge subject. And uh, sort of volumes and books have kind of uh, been um, written about it. And so first, I think I, I really want to uh, read a little here. It, and this is all about language. Um, This is about experience. Uh, this is about coming to some clarity. Uh, and then uh, uh, experiencing our clinging, uh, our clutching, our grasping to this vine, this rope, uh, which uh, creates our samsara. And we get lost uh, in tr trying so hard to uh, sometimes figure it out. And we have all these words and uh, ideas and concepts about how it's supposed to be and opinions and judgments. And somehow it doesn't work. You know, ultimately it doesn't work. Uh, but one of uh, the ways of of coming to direct experience sometimes can be pointed to by another. And really what these talks are in a lot of ways is just pointing to that. That there is a possibility right here as you sit here now uh, that freedom is experienceable. It's not something um, of uh, uh, intellectual pursuit or language. Uh, it is a physical uh, experience that is uh, really here and now. But back to language. 
uh, that little trick here. And I have a piece, this is from um, actually Ann Landers. And I use it because uh, it's about the befuddled and the language and the things we say and how we do it. Anyway, this was a, um, from an insurance company uh, for internal distribution. Uh, and asking for brief statements describing their particular accidents. And so these are just different little lines from it. And uh, the other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intentions. So we kind of know this one. Uh, no, I can't read that one. <laughs> well, I guess so. But these are just statements. <laughs> uh, the guy was all over the place. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> the accident occurred as I was attempting to bring my car out of the skid by steering it into the other car. I was driving my car out of the driveway in the usual manner when it was struck by the other car in the same place it had been struck several times before. <laughs> uh, I was on my way to the doctor's with rare end trouble <laughs> when, my <laughs> when my universal joint gave way, <laughs> causing me to have an accident. <laughs> Uh, language. As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before. I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. This is a classic about trying to describe samsara nirvana. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. <laughs> See, I w there's quite a few here, but I just... Oh, here's a good one. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> or, or the last one here. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> oh my. Language. What we do. So, um, actually, I think I want to start here. I, I want to talk about Nibbana, but I have to actually backtrack here. Uh, because uh, essentially, this second noble truth of, uh, of grasping and clinging is, such, uh, is really one of the things uh, that we specifically uh, are learning about here and what that causes us. Your stories, the memories, uh, different, or reactions to different experiences of pleasantness and unpleasantness in the body. So, I tell a story here. Um, 
See, what was it? Uh, thus I've heard, no. Uh, once upon a time, <laughs> many moons ago, um, I was living up in a, uh, a small retreat, a little retreat hut, uh, a kuti, uh, in, uh, at about, about 9,000 feet, uh, and about an hour from a village that, where I went to get my food and stuff. And I would do self-retreats there. And uh, there was a period where um, it was uh, springtime, and uh, traditionally there is uh, the, the Waisak, which is the May full moon when the Buddha was uh, born, enlightened, and died. And it's so, uh, a great day of um, kind of reverence. And so for that day, I decided I would uh, take a journey and I would climb this mountain. Uh, which was behind uh, where I lived, and, and give you a little description of where I lived. Um, I lived in this small little valley, uh, and to get into this valley, there was a path, it was about an hour's walk from town, and you went along a cliff that was, that was maybe six feet wide, and it was 200 or 300 uh, feet into this canyon. And the cliffs were on each, were, were, uh, came down both sides. And on these cliffs, as you went into this valley, there were these huge uh, vultures. And they sort of protected this valley. It was, it was absolutely a magical place. But the reason the vultures were there, because there was a village uh, up above uh, where I lived, and they threw, they uh, would kill their water buffalo and throw the carcasses. Uh, after they butchered them over the side, and so this, so this was kind of the vulture's home as you entered into this little valley. And it was a wonderful place uh, to sit, um, just uh, phenomenal. And so this day I decided I would go up, and usually the monsoons don't start till um, mid-June in India. And um, so I took off, and I sort of, in those days, I wore white. Um, and so I had sort of, you know, cotton cotty pants, and I had a pair of Chinese tennis shoes, and uh, I owned a down jacket and uh, a down sleeping bag. And usually the weather's, uh, you know, good that time of year. And there were some clouds around the upper mountains, and, and uh, so I took off and started walking up. And again, I kind of lived there, and no one really knew. Uh, I never really had this thing about telling anybody where I was. Um, and I never thought anything really about that. It was not a big deal. Uh, so I took off, and uh, I climbed all day and sort of had my pack and my rice and my tea and sugar and uh, salt and chili. Um, and as I started to climb, uh, it, the clouds kind of moved in, and, and it's, I started sprinkling, and I thought, well, uh, this time of year, I'll find you know some cave or, or something that it, I can... Uh, hang out in if, if the weather gets a little worse. And it was just following a stream bed that just uh, went straight up uh, towards, um, towards what? Just went up this valley towards the mountain itself. And it was called the Hanuman Tib, which is about, uh, I think it's 19,000 feet. Uh, so I kept climbing all day. And I, I ran into some sh sheep herders and stuff as the only people I really saw that day. And went on up. And the clouds kept moving in, 
And um, so I kept looking for shelter, and I didn't find any, and the valley got sort of more and more narrow as I went up. And it started to rain more. And uh, so I started to get wet, and I kept looking for shelter, and I couldn't. And I just kept walking and walking. And uh, it, eventually it began to start getting dark. Um, and cold. And finally it actually did get dark and it was getting very slippery and, and um, kind of muddy. And um, as it got dark, I eventually uh, found uh, an area that sort of, that there were a lot of rocks. And uh, I, it was past twilight, so I really couldn't see where I was. And I climbed up through these rocks. It was raining. And by then, my down sleeping bag and my jacket, uh, which if you know when down uh, gets wet, it's just kind of like mush. So I had this mush with me and um, my sort of uh, you know, cotton tennis shoes and cotton pants. And I found a place, finally. And the place was under this big boulder that had a, um, it was kind of indentation in a large boulder. And so I thought, ah, perfect. I'll just sit here and I'll be fine. I can't lay down or anything, but I'll just sit. So I took the sleeping bag and put it over my shoulders and kind of got my, you know, wet jacket on and, and um, decided, well, I'll just sit till morning. I'd be fine. And it got very cold and actually uh, started to um, sort of mix of rain and snow. And I began sitting and um, uh, started, suddenly my mind started going, uh, what have I done? Where am I? And I'd had friends who had gone up in the same kind of thing and um, had not returned. Uh, this was not, in the years I was in the Himalayas, it wasn't uncommon that uh, somebody would kind of blow it and um, get stuck somewhere. And uh, you know, either the weather would take them or they usually it was you know on some slippery path, uh, and the Himalayas are young and very steep, and um, so they, it would be these uh, kind of accidents that happen. So as I sat there and I got really cold, and I also became afraid, and I started uh, running all these tapes in my mind about oh you know I didn't tell anybody where I was what have I done, uh, this uh, really. Uh, was foolish. Um, and then I'd been in Asia for some years then, so I had a, and I'd sort of traveled all over India back and forth and been in a lot of different uh, sort of ashrams, had been, you know, sort of monk robes twice and um, I thought I, you know, I knew something. Uh, and I swear everything I tried that night didn't work. Uh, I mean, I tried praying, I tried, you know, all the mantras I knew, uh, invocations, everything. And the funny thing started to happen was, I, as I sat there, I started catching uh, something that was going on physically in me. And what was happening is there would be moments where I would get afraid. And what I would notice is I would put my head back, and my, my head would hit this rock, you know, and, uh, and it was cold and it was wet. Uh, and then I found myself going into fantasies, you know, oh, if I'd only done this, you know, 
uh, then I'd be okay. And then I'd go off on these fantasies. And I found myself leaning forward. And then this water would drip down and hit me in the face. And I started going through this piece of where there would be the experience of not liking what my experience was. And I would push away from it. And in pushing away, I physically would push away somehow. That was what I was doing in the cold. And I was kind of shaking and stuff. And I would just, uh, that's what my body would do, would push away, and I would hit this rock. And then I would, you know, somehow, uh, and it is our nature, I would go off into some uh, fantasy of some kind. And then I'd find myself leaning forward, and then this water drip on my face. And pretty soon I started to get it. <laughs> you know, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is what I have. You know, and... Um, uh, it was one of those kind of uh, epiphany where, you know, it was just seeing the nature of our conditioning, you know, and it was seeing the second noble truth uh, that uh, we have this uh, continuous, it seems, uh, relationship with our attachment to uh, the way we'd like it, you know, or not like it. And it's, uh, it's really what the practice is, is to become familiar with our attachments. So, s- story goes. Uh, anyway, I got to see this, and uh, as story goes, that in the morning, I actually made it to dawn, and at dawn, it was quite amazing. The clouds sometimes uh, at dawn, they, they move, uh, what, I don't know where they go. But anyway, they move out from uh, the, around the peaks of the mountain. And, less, and oh, one of the things that was happening during the night that was just a mind blower was there would be these huge crashes. I mean, huge crashes, and the, the ground would shake, you know, like a huge earthquake. And actually what had happened was I had, I had come to the end of this valley and there were these large boulders there because there was a cliff above this and that this was the first rains. So what happened was this was actually an uh, a, um, avalanche field. <laughs> and so they, the first rocks of these boulders would break off and then they would bounce down in the middle of the night uh, as this was the first rain and probably what, uh, you know, six, seven months, uh, as, as it really wasn't the beginning rainy season, but it was the first rain, so suddenly it would break off and come crashing down, which would um, uh, really put the you know, uh, great uh, question, it's kind of like jumping out of the airplane, you know, <laughs> uh, that piece of fear in there. Um, anyway, to finish story, uh, so that that went on during the night, and then right above me there was a field. Uh, and it was a flat area uh, off the side of this cliff. And it, there were, it was a snow field. And so I left there, and there was just sort of a little bit of snow, and, 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 uh, and it was wet uh, around me. And it was less than 100 yards, and I climbed up on this snow field. And I looked out, and there was the um, full moon setting and uh, the, um, the sun rising. It was absolutely, you know, those two things. And then there were glacier cliffs, uh, this kind of blue glacier, glacier cliffs all around me. Uh, and I was sort of above the, 
um, what, uh, the tree line and the, um, what, whatever wasn't snow. Uh, actually, quite remarkable, uh, one of those moments. And it's really kind of uh, what I want to talk about, is there are these moments um, that sometimes through great difficulty and quite arduous in our uh, practice uh, that uh, happen. And I'd like to talk, them, talk about it in kind of um, uh, two, um, two aspects here. This is where it comes to language. You know, the Buddha said, uh, talking about kind of freedom, uh, you can only sort of talk in the negative in some ways about it. But there is this place in the center of our experience uh, that, um, and I want to talk first a little bit about this piece about the absolute, and then uh, and kind of relative uh, there are two really different views of uh, this practice as far as uh, method goes. And I know for the first 10 years of my practice, uh, it was very much, uh, there's a sort of in the, in the um, Zen tradition, there's uh, the Rinzai tradition. And uh, in the sort of Burmese tradition, there is the Mahasi system or the uh, Ubaken kind of system. And I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but I know this, my teacher, Gwenka, uh, there was really, it was not interested in your personality whatsoever. Uh, in a sense, you were the, you know, your story and your stuff was not important. What was really important uh, was uh, that you uh, worked uh, in your experience of samsara and came to a place uh, that uh, was freedom, what the Buddha called nibbana, really the unconditioned. Um, From that point of view, it's actually uh, is an uphill uh, practice in the sense it takes a tremendous amount of effort, is uh, kind of directed uh, towards this, can I say, confusing the mind to a point where uh, it no longer uh, clings uh, to its conditioning and freeze itself. I remember um, uh, the, one of the times, I, just in a talk, hearing about this, this word sotopana, uh, this word um, stream entry, and uh, just how powerful it was that 
it wasn't about getting there. It was the realization that there was this possibility. Uh, and then with that possibility were some, um, what, uh, some fetters that uh, drop away. And probably the, the, the biggest of them is the fact that this belief in self, uh, the, the belief that I exist at all. Uh, and doubt in the Dharma in any way. That um, that this truth of, uh, of karma and clinging uh, and freedom uh, is unquestionable. Uh, and that It says that you know, sort of rules, rites, rituals, uh, that that is also let go, let go of, in some way that our belief that uh, I, I don't know uh, how to put this. I'm I'm really trying to think. It's like in the unconditioned, um, even sort of right and wrong, in the sense of. Um, being uh, kind of black and white about things is non-existent in some ways. It's let go of. Because ultimately what we're talking about here is that there is a place um, which doesn't rely doesn't rely on anything you can imagine, on anything in our sensual sphere. And then somehow to be inspired in that that place, that not knowing, gives birth somehow to uh, this to this willingness uh, not to hold so dearly to who we think we are uh, and uh, how we think it is that somehow we don't need to hold it um, so tightly. We can kind of uh, maybe let go of that rope somehow. Uh, and see the pain, uh, the suffering that that causes us. And there are stages of that practice, and this is very much a kind of uh, out of the Theravadan sort of canon. Um, uh, 
And to me, it's very inspiring. Not that I have to strive for it, just the fact that it exists, uh, that it is a possibility, uh, always. Uh, and that is uh, uh, a lot of what coming to retreat, I think, is uh, about, is uh, having that opening. Now, I'm talking from an absolute point of view. Where is that? Oh. I like kind of, uh, this is Trumpa's uh, kind of piece on this. The attainment of enlightenment from ego's point of view is extreme death. The death of the self, the death of me and mine, the death of the watcher. It is the ultimate and final disappointment. The ultimate and final disappointment. I go sometimes, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You are sitting here, in a sense, confronting uh, your, um, what? Uh, your, your grasping, your clinging towards the things you don't like, in the things that you imagine you would like, uh, and this practice is slowly dissolving you, <laughs> slowly dissolving you, uh, bit by bit, in uh, the attachments that hold you. Uh, to, the, to these views and opinions of how you think you'd like it to be or the way you think uh, it shouldn't be. It's slowly dissolving that. And it eventually will confront uh, who you think you are uh, down to the minutia. And there is freedom. You know. uh, and this freedom is not something that actually uh, I see as, I know in my own practice there was this thing about attainment for a long time because I was uh, out of my suffering. Uh, it seemed uh, most natural to want to fully extend myself to become free. And in that extending of myself, at some point, uh, there is a waking up. And for some of us, it takes a long time, and for some of us, not so long. But it came down to this, right now. Right now, in this moment, uh, you do have a choice. Uh, And the choice is uh, about holding it in a certain way, or simply letting it be. The kind of the thusness, the suchness of this moment. Uh, And you don't have to make it anything, do anything with it. It just is the way it is. It's kind of this isness. And there is the recognition uh, that this kind of moment to moment, which is not about some 
absolute attainment somewhere. But it is this possibility in every moment that you are making a choice. Uh, and mindfulness itself is, is such, a, it's such an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, just it alone. Because it really doesn't have in it, it, we're just, what are we? We're just these moment after moment after moment. They're arisings and passing aways, arising and passing aways. And we're here creating more moments. More moments where this uh, mindfulness, which is not clinging for or against any experience. Uh, more moments of that. And there is an undoing, an undoing that's uh, happening whether we're aware of it or not. And coming really to a place of balance, to equanimity. Uh, Through all the struggles of grabbing hold of that vine and just wrenching on it, you know, holding on for dear life out of, uh, you know, uh, for every reason possible. But if you notice it long enough, with these moments of mindfulness, there's kind of a letting up, a letting it be. I like kind of, uh, this was Pema Chodron's kind of um, description of the path in some way. And this is about really a path without, um, uh, I see it as a path, there was a lot of time there that I needed to have a goal uh, simply out of my um, need for it to be different and the pain uh, and the fear of the pain. Uh, But then at some point, I think there's a possibility sooner or later of relaxing. And um, she puts it this way, that the path is not Route 66, destination Los Angeles. It's not as if we can take out a map and figure that this year we can make it to Gallup, New Mexico, and maybe by the year 2001 we'll be in L.A. The path is uncharted. It comes into existence moment by moment, and at the same time drops away behind us. It's like riding in a train, sitting backwards. We can see where we're headed. We can't see where we're headed, only where we've been. I was thinking I don't have, uh, this is something for you to, uh, for those of you who are here for three weeks, there is this, you have worked so hard uh, to begin to recognize, and the Buddha said it's very subtle. It's very subtle, it's hard to see, just because there's such, there's such a strength and such a charge to the things we want, you know. It's phenomenally how much juice happens there. And it's phenomenal how much juice you have when um, 
you really don't like what's going on or some old memory or uh, some back pain or knee pain and you want to push it away and, and you don't like it, how much juice there is actually in that? And yet there's this place in the middle that's always possible of just letting that go for a moment and noticing that there is just uh, this place, the Buddha, the simplest word, peace. You know, it's very deep. Uh, but we just don't stay there. We, we're always moving past it. And here we can just give ourselves more intention to noticing uh, actually this unconditioned, this place uh, that's not needing it to be different, the thusness, the suchness uh, of this possibility in the present, but no charge. Uh, and supporting that so that we can uh, uh, take it with us all the time. You know? And certainly these moments are building on themselves. You know, slowly, slowly. Uh, and with that slowly, slowly, uh, there is uh, um, what really it is a, a, a mystical um, I, I'm trying to say conditioned state, but I don't know. It's all I know is the Buddha called it nirvana as um, something that can that changes our fundamental view of who we think we are and how things are. And we're slowly, slowly um, working towards that place of balance and uh, clear seeing. It's great to take this into life, supporting these pieces. I, I've, uh, I know I, I have, my daughter's name is Pema, and she's 15, and she is the best teacher, one of the best teachers I've had, you know, in uh, the charge, because I, again, uh, this thing about attachment and love and being able to test uh, this place in the center, uh, when there is a large charge, you know, uh, remembering it's here, it's always here. You always, you always have that choice. You know, you can um, jump into the fire and hold the, on to dear life, or you can just take a moment, just take a moment, and let it be the suchness as it is. I have a piece here from the Sutta Nipata that I'd like to... Uh, just a beautiful piece of poetry. Um, it's called uh, Kappa's Question. 
Next was the Brahmin student Kappa. Sir, he said, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and the fear of the rush of the river of being. And death and decay overwhelmed them. For their sake, sir, tell me, where do I find an island? Tell me, where is there solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain? Kappa, said the master, for the sake of those people stuck in the middle of the river of being, overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. There is an island, an island which you cannot go beyond. It is a place of nothingness, a place of non-possession, of non-attachment. It is the total end of death and decay. And this is why I call it Nibbana, the extinguished the cool. There are people in mindfulness, having realized this, are completely cooled here and now. They do not become slaves working for Mara, for death. They cannot fall into his power. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.